what has he done in you? How far has he brought you? How much has he changed within your life? And if you were to now think ahead to one year's time, five years' time, ten years' time, what is your desire, what is your aspiration, not for worldly things, but what is your desire and your aspiration for where you're going to be with God, what you're going to be doing with him and for him? Do you have a desire and aspiration for that for five or ten years' time? Well, let me tell you what I want to tell you tonight, and that is that God is not content with where you are. I'm not saying he's disappointed in you. I'm not saying he doesn't like who you are. But God is not content with where you are. He is desperate and longing to move you on in relationship with him, to move you deeper and draw you in to relationship with him. He wants to work in your heart uh, even more than you realize, and I hope you do come to realize it more. Um, But God wants to do something in you. He wants to change who you are. He's doing things in our nation. He's doing things in this church, and, and he wants to move you on. He's got a place and a purpose for you. Uh, The reason I say that is because uh, tonight in the reading that we have from Paul, Paul has a heart for the Ephesians, a group of people that he doesn't know, he's never met, he's sitting in prison, but yet he's heard about them, and he's asking God to do something in their lives that he knows will lead to transformation and fruitfulness in God's kingdom. The, the series that we're carrying on, and if you were not here last year, last week, uh, we are looking at how we do big family together. Mike kind of kicked off with the first one last week. We're looking through Ephesians, and this evening, technically, the term is faithful family, a family full of faith. I would suggest, I, I want to talk really more about how we are a people who are faithful to God. Uh, let's read the passage, if you don't mind putting it up. Thank you. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms." Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, Before I get in a little bit deeper explaining uh, what I think Paul is asking for, I have taken an NRSV version of that, which I think is a slightly better rendering. I've put it in the first person, and I'd love us to pray this over ourselves, to ask God for wisdom and revelation in our lives. So if you put the next slide up, and if you're willing, will you say this with me? Can you all see that? 
Yeah? Are you ready? Uh, Father, we pray that you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation as we come to know you, so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance among us, and the immeasurable greatness of power for us who believe. Amen. Great. So Paul's only asking for one thing of the Ephesians. He's asking God to bring wisdom and revelation. Wisdom being something more than what you or I can get from a book or from clever thinking. Revelation not being kind of new revelation about God that's never been known before, but revelation that enlightens your heart. Revelation that shows you something new about who your Father in heaven is, how he wants to relate to you, who you are that maybe you've never seen before. And the picture I've got on the side is of curtains being pulled back. It's this image of you drawing curtains on a window you've never opened before to see a beautiful scene outside that you have never seen. Others may have seen it, they may have seen it from many different angles, but for you, this is new. And I think that idea of revelation is something that we can all connect with because all of us, when we came to Christ, had had a moment, either it was quick or it took a long period of time, of this enlightening where all of a sudden we get who Jesus is and we want to give our lives to him and come under his lordship. But Paul says that that is not a one-time deal, that actually in our Christian journeys, God is not content with where we are. He wants us to come to know him. And as we come to know him, this is what the Spirit of God is going to be doing in us. He's going to be increasingly revealing to us more and more about who the Father is, who we are, how much he loves us, what he longs for us, and what he longs for us to do in service to him. That is what the Holy Spirit's job is in you and I, amongst many other things. And I hope that many of you can go, actually, yeah, I, I have an experience of that. I know what that is. I've, I've, I've experienced God showing me new things and producing change and transformation in my life. Paul asks for this revelation and wisdom in three specific areas. And I want to suggest that the reason Paul picks these three areas is because for him, they're actually quite personal. That's the way we human beings work. Something that God has done in my life, and you're going to hear about that in a moment, I want him to do in your life. And so that's what I'm going to ask God to do in your life. God's done many things in Paul's life, but Paul picks these three things. And so I think they're really worthy of consideration. The first is this. Paul wants the Ephesians, and I think us too, to have, on the next slide, uh, a revelation of what the hope of our calling is. What the hope of our calling is. You all know what we're called to. We're called to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength. To love each other as ourselves. And we're called by Jesus to go into the world and take his love to those in need, to disciple people that we meet. That is our calling. But our hope is something much, much more. Um, I spent this afternoon unexpectedly with a friend who is not a Christian, who's really on my heart. He used to go to a church uh, and kind of all happy, clappy, hands in the air. He's been there. He's done that. But he's been so wounded, and I've not got to the heart of what yet, that he utterly rejects God. God does not exist to him. And the conversation I had with him this afternoon just kind of melted me because he is living a life without hope. He is wrestling with the 
uh, what's it called? Hamster wheel um, of life, of, of earning money and it vanishing and doing this stuff and it going nowhere. And what is my, he has no purpose. He has no sense of where his life is going and what he is achieving in all of this. But God, for you and I, has something amazing in store, doesn't he? That we don't live like that anymore. We have something amazing to look forward to. And Paul talks about it in the uh, bit of Ephesians that we spoke in last week, that we have this inheritance with Christ in God to come. And it's not even just that it's kind of way out there and we can't imagine what that's going to be like, but actually God is working in us to bring his kingdom to bear in our lives and on our earth and we will see some of that transformation, we will see some of that treasure in our life and that we have to look forward to as we make our sacrifices for him and as we live generously towards each other and as we give up our jobs and take big risks. There are huge treasures that God says is in store for us and that is our hope. And it's not, is it something that's wishful? Is it something that's wishful? No. This is certain. Paul actually says in last week's passage that we are signed and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in our lives guaranteeing what is in store for us. And so our hope is amazing. The world doesn't get it. The world really doesn't get it, but we have an amazing hope. And I, as we were worshiping, I had this real sense of, of God saying, this is something really special for you guys for some reason that I don't know if any of you feel like you don't feel like your Christian journey is going anywhere. You're not sure what it's all about. What is its purpose? And God really wants you to grasp what this hope is that he has for you. His discontent with where you are, that he wants to move you on. He's got great things in store for you. He's going to use you in amazing ways. And at the end of it all, we're going to get to go and be with him forever. And that is not something that will be dull or boring. Um, we have an amazing hope. The second thing, that Paul asks for the Ephesians is that they have wisdom and revelation to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among us. There's another slide. Very exciting title slides. Um, there we go, money and gold. Um, so, Paul, so Paul takes this idea of this inheritance that we have in God and he flips it on his head and he says, actually, God sees you as his inheritance. He sees you as a person that he is longing to receive in eternity. You're not his second choice. You're not someone who he's disappointed with. Uh, Even though your life may not be what you want it to be or what God wants it to be, God is really looking forward to your restoration for him and to him because he gets to have you in eternity. But I want to suggest tonight that actually he can have you now if you're willing to surrender yourself to him and allow him to enjoy you and be with you, which is a bit of a weird concept, isn't it? That God wants to enjoy me. There's not really much enjoyable about me. If I, if I bring myself before God, I get so much wrong. I mess up so much, but God loves me so much. He wants to enjoy me. He loves being with me. He loves who he has made me. And if that you think is amazing, that's not what Paul is even kind of getting at. Paul's saying, I want you to grasp what is the value of the inheritance that God has in you and me. What is the treasure that God sees, the jewels and the gems that he sees in us, his people, his inheritance that he's going to get one day? What is it that he sees in us? Well, it's not the many things that you do for him. As great as they are, that's not what he has great value in. What he has great value in 
is who you are and is how you love him, is how we fulfill our calling, that calling to love God with every fiber of our being. When we do that, man, it delights his heart. It brings him so much pleasure to see you, even if you can't act and live out what the desire of your heart is as you long to obey him more and love him more and be with him more. The fact that the desire is there pleases him beyond measure. Um, that is the value that he sees in you. And, and I really think we need to grasp this more and more in our lives. We need to be speaking this over ourselves because so often we feel like we're failing in our journey with him. We feel like we're letting him down because we're not having conversations with people, because we're not seeing him move in amazing ways. And you know what? That is not what God is focused on. God may well do those things in us, but actually what he's focused on is he wants to be with you and he wants you to know just how much much he is delighted in you, how much he loves you, how much pleasure he finds in you, and how he longs for you just to be with him more and more. That is his value in us. He made us for relationship, and he's taking us to eternity for relationship. The third thing that Paul asks uh, God to do as a wisdom and revelation for the Ephesians is they would grasp the immeasurable greatness of God's power for you and me who believe in him. I love that phrase. The immeasurable greatness. God's power is great. It is immeasurably great. We cannot measure how great his power is, but it's for you and it's for me. He's made it available for us. And Paul wants us to have a revelation of what that means, not just for our personal lives and our transformation, but for our lives and our ministry and the world and the people that we're praying for and the people that we're longing to come to know him. And as we step out into the streets and take take risks for him, God wants us to have a revelation of, of the purpose and place of his power to love people. And I believe that he is doing that in our church If you pay attention to what's going on across the world and to what is being said and what is happening even in our country, uh, God is doing great things. He is revealing his power available for his people to act in love and bring others to know him. And what I find really fascinating is at the time that God seems to be doing this, the world is presenting an alternative view of power. The alternative view of power we see in the cinemas and on our TV screens, and our world is fascinated with this idea of the intrinsic power of a superhero, someone who possesses great power and great strength to do great things, and they can will to use it whenever they like, and they get glory, and they get honor, and they get praise, and aren't they amazing? And who doesn't want to be like that I certainly have but this is where we really need to guard our hearts because I believe the enemy is in this and at a time when God is revealing his power to his people to be used in ministry at, the, at that time the world is presenting an alternative view and we need to make sure our hearts are in the right place that our hearts are motivated by love that our hearts are for people that this is not our power and, and it's interesting that this is one of the three things Paul three things Paul picks on and then he then goes on to give a description of well what is that that power. And he says that power is resurrection power. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So it's power that brings both physical and spiritual and mental and emotional healing to our lives and the lives of the people God wants to reach. It's power that changes the authority structures in our world as Jesus has taken the seat of all authority. Often we think the church is on the sideline of history, but we are central to it. We are God's central purpose 
purpose in the direction of where history is going and where our country is going because Jesus has the seat of all authority, all power, all dominion and every single name that exists. Does that not fill you with hope? Does that not mean that we can walk into the dark places of our world without fear? That we can go to those who are in darkness and have no concerns because he is Lord over it all. That's what his power is there to do, is to change the authority structure in your life and my life and in the lives of the people that we minister to as we continuously go through this process of giving him more of our hearts and, and declaring him Lord over our lives, Lord over our finances, Lord over the timing of our death, Lord over everything that we hope and dream for. We're changing the authority structure in our our lives and making Jesus Lord. And the last and most important thing that I think Paul highlights in what this kind of what this power is that God makes available for us is its power that flows from the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's power that flows from sacrificial love. That is the only motive you and I should ever have when we step out to minister in God's power to each other and into other people. It's not to see cool things. It's not to have a platform. It's not because we want to see other people seeing us being used by God. It's not because we want to feel special. It's got to be because we want to sacrifice everyone because God's put so much love in our hearts for the people that he sends us to. And when that is our motive and only our motive, I believe we will see God do remarkable things because he's going to get all of the glory and we won't want to take a single bit of it for ourselves because it's all about love. And actually, if that's our motive, we're not going to care whether God uses us or God doesn't use us because actually if we're seeking to be with him, then it's all about love. He can do it or he can not do it. It's up to him, but we're loving people. That's what this is about. Now, I don't want you to take away from what I'm saying that you've got to go and take this massive list of all these things and change your life. That is not what I think Paul is saying. Paul is saying that this stuff comes by revelation through the Holy Spirit. So this is a work of God to do in your life. And if you think back through what God has done in your life and question what actually, how does he do that? How does he affect change? And I want to suggest to you that it always starts in your heart. He does a move in your heart that leads to a change in your life, a change in your desires, a change in your dreams and ambitions. Um, that's how God moves very powerfully in us. This is a Holy Spirit work that will lead to change. All of the rules and the boundaries, all of the kind of efforts that you put into it, you are going to fail because it has to be his work. So the only thing Paul says that we have to do in all of this is come to know him, is come to know our Father more. As we come to know him, the Holy Spirit will bring wisdom and will bring revelation and we will see transformation in our lives. So how are you at coming to know your Father? Over the last year, I don't want to make anyone feel like they're failing because I often feel like I'm failing in my faith. But we are called to come to know our Father in heaven more and more and more. And I have been praying and longing and asking God because I have been wrestling with this. And I want to just offer to you something that God has been doing in my life. About four weeks, he led me to read a little book uh, called Practicing the Presence of God by a man called Brother Lawrence. This morning, there was only about five people in the church that have read it. Tonight, how many of you have read it? Okay, similar kind of number. Um, believe it or not, this is the second most read book other than the Bible in our world. 
So you've got some reading to do. The great thing is it's only about 45 minutes long. It's very short. Brother Lawrence is a 12th century French monk and he dedicated his life in the monastery to retraining his mind to be in the presence of God as much as he possibly could. And it is not the easiest of things to do. Our mind likes to wander and do other things. Uh, but it is possible. And, and as I read through this tiny little book, God really challenged me in many ways. And some of the stuff that Brother Lawrence says about how you know, it is a delusion that we think times of prayer ought to differ from other times of life. And he talks about how you know, he will walk along and he's, he's not even willing to pick up a bit of straw from the ground without first engaging with his father and he set about in his personal time and through his entire day with every spare minute that he has, every moment spare, working in the kitchens, uh, either on his knees, walking to where he's going and he is reminding himself of who God is, of how much he has loved, of how much God wants to be with him. He's reminding himself of how unworthy he is to be in the presence of God, how unworthy he is to receive all the amazing things that come through grace. Uh, And he just keeps reminding himself of this and he's seeking and asking and and urging and pleading with God to make his presence known. And after 10 years of doing this, uh, he said the presence of God came upon him in an even greater way than what he had experienced in those 10 years. And he became known as this man who could be in a kitchen, washing up, cooking food, having people shouting orders at him. And he would possess the presence and the power and the tranquility and the peace of God in his life in such a way that Everybody knew about it. It was just as much as if he'd been on his knees for two hours in prayer. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Would you like to experience the presence of God in such a way that for you, prayer time and being in a meeting or getting your kids to put their shoes on or doing your schoolwork is just the same as if you'd been on your knees for two hours? Well, this man seemed to master it. And I was deeply challenged by what I read. Here's a few things in there that he said that challenged me, like... Uh, if you had someone come into your home, you would think it rude to leave them alone in the room. But yet, how often do we do that in our lives? Jesus, it says in the beginning of John's Gospel, uh, we have a right uh, to become his children and he will move in and make his home in us. He has moved in. He has taken up residence in your lives. He's made his home there. He's set up camp. He's going nowhere. Even if you don't feel him, he's still there. Even if you're not aware of him, he's still there. But yet, we so often in our times of trying to be with him we kind of take him out of a box and say okay Jesus you can sit on that chair I'll sit on this chair let's be together half an hour isn't this great or isn't it not I'm finding it hard I don't experience you I read the Bible but I'm not necessarily getting something from it and now you can go back in your box because I've got to go about my life and I might pop you out at lunchtime, or I might pop you out at coffee time or I might bring you out in the evening when I go to bed but Jesus actually wants all of us He's moved into our lives and he wants us all. He wants more of us. And so, having read this, I, I need to stop soon. Um, having read this, he, uh, I, I, I set myself to do this. I thought, well, I'm going to give this a go. How bad can it be? Nothing else really works. No, that's not true. Um, lots of things work. I haven't experienced God's presence many times. But 
I want more from him, and I think that there is a desire in the church for, to want more of God. And, and so I tried to do this, uh, just sitting there on the aeroplane, on a bus to a hotel, or you know, when I get up in the morning, uh, every moment I have, you know, in between shouting at the children, uh, whatever it might be, I'm trying to say, God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you love me, and that you are here, and that you are for me, and I really don't deserve you. I don't know why you've done this for me, and, and I would just keep going round in my head, reminding myself of how amazing he is and how unworthy I am and how, how much this stuff is true. And I began to experience God's presence. And, it, and it's not constantly through my day, but God very quickly um, made his pre- presence profoundly known in ways that I have experienced him before, but f- far easier. It's, like, it's so simple. How did I not get this before? Um, and, and I have sought to do that, and I am not perfect at it. My thoughts go wandering. I've had the odd half day where I'm like, oh... I haven't spent any time with you. But you know what? My thoughts come back to him much quicker than they ever used to. They don't go wandering as far. And as I have been doing this, God has immediately started to reveal my heart and how much my heart was after other things. And he showed me that when I am, often when I am worshipping, it's not entirely his. I'm aware of the people around me. I want them to see that when I am worshipping, I'm a good Christian uh, and I'm too conscious of that. And God says, no, 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 no. I want all of your heart. I want all of your worship. I don't want to share it with anyone else. And God started to reveal to me how my heart belonged to desires for possessions and establishing kind of my kingdom and how I go looking and uh, desiring the next gadget on the internet and I go down this rabbit hole and I don't know what it is for you. What is it that has has captured your heart that you go running after that's not after God? Because what God was saying to me was, I want it all. I want it all. You've got to give that up. And I'm not saying you can't have nice things, but I want your heart. Um, and as I've been doing this, God has he's really blessed me. I've had some amazing conversations with people. And there's a couple of things he's done. One of the things Brother Lawrence says is that uh, we need to let God be our entertainment. And I don't know about you. Where do you go when you want to zone out, when you want to chill, when you want to relax? Is it to Netflix or Amazon Prime? Is it to a book? Is it to just doing something else, coloring in? I mean, that's quite popular these days, isn't it? Um, what is it that you go to? Don't laugh at me, Tara. Um, what is it that you go to? Because actually God says that I want to be your inter- I want to be the place you go to. I want to be the one that you turn to. And our relationship with him can be such that, that we can do that. And it is enjoyable and it is pleasurable. Being with God is good. You don't have to say a lot. Just being with him is good. Dwelling on the things of him is good. And I've also found a radical transformation in my Purity. I have struggled as a man my whole life with lustful thoughts, with an addiction to masturbation that is horrible, and I have come so close to defeating it so many times in my life. Andy Bagwell knows every single thing that I look at on any internet-connected device. He has permission to see it all because I don't want to do that. I don't want to look at anything. I don't want to make myself unholy because I know this is essential, and I have fought and I put boundaries in place, and actually God showed me that all it took was a change of my heart and a bit of training of my mind and in the last four weeks I haven't struggled a single little bit not even an inkling of a thought it has been the easiest thing I have done in sexual purity in the last 20 years just being with my father in heaven is amazing 
and I encourage you to do it. Um, I implore you to do it. Brother Lawrence says all the world should do this because he got how amazing it was and it is what leads to wisdom, to revelation, to transformation of our lives and an outflow of God's power in ministry. Um, And that's all I have for you and I hope that's an encouragement, a little challenge. I hope you don't go away from this going, I've got so much to do, but I hope you go away from this going, actually, my father wants me. He wants time with me. That's what this is about. And it's not about if you fail, he's disappointed, because he's not. He just wants time with you. Just hang out with him. Take some time. Spend it with him.